Wow. Like coming home after a week-long vacation? There's a lot to unpack here. And that's exactly what we'll do on this episode of Second and Fifteen. Welcome, Eagles fans, to the second episode of Second and Fifteen, a Philadelphia Eagles fan podcast. My name is Michael Roscoe, and let's dive into today's topics. Of course, we'll do a brief recap of the game. QB2, QB who? We'll look into the quarterback situation in Philly. We'll also look at current roster moves along with injuries and updates and how those will impact things such as special teams and certain backup roles. And to wrap things up, we're introducing a new segment, Bless Up versus Mess Up, highlighting players who did extremely well and talking about players who may need to pick things up a bit. And this will include a list of those who will need to have a strong preseason game versus the Colts. But first, let's look at a little bit of news. After seven years in the NFL, newly signed linebacker Miles Jack calls it a career, retiring just two weeks after signing with the Eagles. Now, I can't say this is too surprising considering he had considered trade school and other career options uh, after his release from the Steelers. And we really didn't see a whole lot of him. He only played in a little bit of the fourth quarter against the Browns, logging about two tackles. It seemed that his mind was probably on other things and wanted to retire while his body was the healthiest and pursue those other options that he was talking about. So for me and hopefully a lot of the Eagles organization, there's no hate and all love for Miles Jack. We wish you the best on your next career options and we thank you for your contribution that you've made to the Eagles. Tuesday's joint practice between the Eagles and the Colts came to an abrupt and wild ending after at least two fights broke out, one clearing the benches. Various sources report that Derek Barnett was responsible for a hit on Colts QB Anthony Richardson, apparently attempting to knock the ball out, creating a commotion amongst players. The final straw came from a late hit on Kenneth Gainwell after a play committed by Zaire Franklin. Jason Kelsey had a problem with this and took his frustration out on Franklin, delivering a truck hit, knocking him off his feet. Benches cleared as a massive brawl broke out, ultimately cutting the practice short. Now, I have some mixed feelings about this situation. First thing with Derek Barnett, dude's been in a bunch of fights in camp. He's got to keep his cool. I get he's passionate for the game, but you got to respect the culture that there is around practices like this One thing being also not hitting the quarterback, especially a brand new rookie starting quarterback. And that kind of behavior in a game can be very costly. It could turn a fourth and 20 from the 20-yard line to a first and goal because of a stupid-ass penalty because you can't control yourself. Derek, you got to keep your cool. And with the Jason Kelsey situation, I appreciate the fact that he stood up for his teammates He did take accountability for his actions. A couple of reports say that he felt ashamed and that, you know, as a leader on this team, that is not some behavior that he wants to exhibit. But at the same time, I I can get it. You know, you're sticking up for your teammates, especially after a late hit like that, especially so close to the regular season. You got to back up your boys. I get it. Jason called it an emotional reaction, not his best, and I get it, man. We all kind of fill into that situation. What I think makes this different between him and Derek Barnett is 
unless I'm just not paying attention, I don't think Derek Barnett has taken accountability for his actions. Jason had one quote unquote emotional outburst and immediately, you know, felt ashamed, felt irresponsible. You know, he took it with a grain of salt and used his leadership mentality to assure his teammates that, you know, hey, I messed up. I'm taking responsibility for this. I'll try to keep my cool. Now, I don't know if this part is true. I think I might have just heard it on TikTok. But I heard that Kelsey hit Zaire Franklin so fucking hard that he knocked him out of his shoes. His fucking shoes. Do you know how hard you have to hit a whole ass NFL linebacker to knock him out of his fucking shoes? This is why Jason Kelsey is the goat of his position. Dude is a leader, but also a fucking truck stick, dude. He lays it all down on the field, and I am so glad that he is still with us. Now, this last piece of news isn't necessarily related to the Eagles, but more to the NFL community. Tragedy strikes Tennessee Titans cornerback Caleb Farley as multiple reports come in about an explosion at a property of his located in Lake Northern, North Carolina in the evening hours of Monday night, killing his father and injuring a second individual. Obviously, this is still an ongoing investigation. We don't have every single detail at this moment. But from this Eagles fan and hopefully Eagles fans across the league, I just want to say my heart goes out to you, man. And we are thinking about you in this very hard time. All right. Like a manual car, let's shift gears into our first topic, the second preseason game between the Eagles and the Browns last Thursday. It was a slow start for Marcus Mariota as the Browns led 8-3 in the first half thanks to a Jake Elliott field goal for the Birds and a safety plus two Cade York field goals at the half. However, to start the second half, we had probably a new favorite amongst a lot of Eagles fans, third-string quarterback prospect Tanner McKee. And this man, within three fucking minutes into the half, leads a six-play, 75-yard drive leading up to a Trey Sermon touchdown to give the Eagles a lead 10-8. to However, the Browns do bounce back from a touchdown pass from Kellen Mond to Adam Watkins to make it 18-10 with 4.05 left in the game. And I ain't even going to lie, Watkins was balling the fuck out in this game. I don't know how he did it. It may have been a little bit of our secondary's fault, but I ain't going to lie, that dude balled out. However, once again, Tanner McKee leads another six-play drive, this time for 57 yards, finding Brady Russell for a 22-yard touchdown pass and a Johnny King two-point conversion to tie the game at 18-all. Brady Russell out here looking like Blake from Workaholics with Golden Retriever energy, and I am here for it. The game would end with an 18-18 tie after Cade Yord fucks up not once, but twice to make a field goal to take the lead for the Browns. That second opportunity was due to a penalty committed by number 66 defensive tackle Olive Sagapolu. But as I said, Gade York fucked up twice and the game ends with a tie. Alrighty, y'all. Like an Olympic swimmer, we're going to dive into our second topic, QB2, QB who. First on our list is Marcus. Marcus, Marcus, Marcus. In the last episode, I talked about how I needed to see a better improvement from last week versus the Ravens. And that did not happen. Let's look at the stats here. He went 9 for 17 for 86 yards, 0 touchdowns, and 1 interception. And that interception, which was meant to be a pass to Grant Calcaterra, followed a trend that I've been noticing out of him lately. The passes are too fucking high. 
I know in a press conference, he was talking about how he was still feeling rusty, how he's still learning the offense, and basically just trying to knock some of that rust that he's got off. But all I ask is you knock that rust off just a little bit quicker, dude. Season's coming up soon. And I do think he just looks a little awkward with the offense. I don't know if he would perform any different if it was the second string offense versus the first string offense out there, but it just looked awkward. He's not getting out of the pocket. He seems very rushed. And I'll talk about that more when I talk about the secondary O-line later in the podcast. Marcus would end that game with a QBR of 42.8. Now let's look at the other quarterback that played in this game, Tanner McKee. Tanner McKee would finish off the night 10 for 18 for 147 yards, zero interceptions, and one touchdown. His QBR for the night would be like a low-grade fever, reaching 100.9. Now, two big differences I noticed in this game in particular between McKee and Mariota. The first one being the passes. McKee was a lot better at making his passes accurate, placing them right into the receiver's hands, and once again, really not making the receivers have to do a whole lot of work in order to catch those passes. The second being Tanner's confidence. Now, I don't know if he just has a better relationship with the players he's been playing with the most often in camp versus the player that Mariota has been playing with more often in camp, but it just seemed to be more in sync than Mariota was in his first half. He had zero rushes in this game, but he's not really a runner. I guess that's one of the differences between him and Mariota is that Mariota is more of a rushing quarterback than McKee is, but McKee is also a rookie. He has time to develop into a dual-threat quarterback like that and be a very good backup option and development QB. Now, with Tanner McKee performing better in the first two preseason games compared to Marcus Mariota, what does that mean? From an emotional but illogical standpoint, a lot of fans would probably be like, fuck Mariota, put McKee in at second string QB. However, the logical reaction to that is, that is not going to happen. Sirianni has confidence in Mariota that he'll be able to pick up his performance. Plus, if we were to cut Mariota, it would cost about $1.9 million in cap space. Now, I know the season's just a couple weeks away. That gives a little bit of time for Marcus to kind of evaluate himself, evaluate his performance, see what he needs to improve upon and what is going wrong. But one thing I do believe is that if we want him to be more confident, we as fans need to be more confident in him. So Marcus, I am confident in you that you will be able to bounce back from these last two performances. Keep up the work, man. All right. Now, like the All-American rejects, let's move along to our next topic. We're going to look at some of the roster moves that have occurred over this last week. This past Saturday, we signed five guys to the active roster, including a former practice squad player, Marvin Wilson, defensive tackle. Unless these guys have a strong camp over this next couple weeks, these guys are likely to be either cut or practice squad members. The Eagles also waived injured defensive tackle Noah Ellis, wide receiver Tyree Cleveland, and cornerback Zek McPherson. Tyree Cleveland suffered a head and neck injury in the game versus the Browns, but thankfully was able to move all extremities, so that is some great news. And Zek McPherson went down with a torn Achilles and unfortunately will be out for the remainder of the season. Finally, the Eagles cut cornerback Greedy Williams and punter Ty Zentner. Now, honestly, the Greedy Williams cut does not surprise me. I feel like I didn't see or hear much of him in this camp. I feel like I heard more news about him signing on to the Eagles and what jersey number he was going to be wearing rather than his actual performances within camp or within the preseason games. 
Now, I know last week I talked about how Ty Zentner had a lot of consistency in the open equals practice that I went to. However, that did not seem to translate over to his camp or his preseason and ultimately has lost the battle between Aaron Sipos for the punter position. So to Greedy and Legatron, good luck on your careers and hopefully you're able to find another team here soon. But to branch off on the punter situation with the release of Ty Zentner, what do we think will happen with the punter situation? Obviously, Aaron Sipos is now the only one on the roster, but what do you guys think will happen? Will we keep Sipos? Will we sign another punter? I want to hear what y'all think. Let me know what you think by DMing our Instagram account with your answers. All right, let's move on to our next topic for fans and athletes. I know this is a hard one. No one likes to see these, but we're going to talk about injuries. Some notable injuries that went down in that game occurred with Alameda Zacchaeus, Nolan Smith Jr., and Josh Andrews. Zacchaeus and Smith were seen returning to the sidelines of the game, but did not play the rest of the game. In an interview, Nolan Smith said they took him out for precautionary reasons and that his shoulder feels fine, which is fantastic news because that dude was balling out, and I am so excited for Nolan Smith. How the fuck we got him at number 30 in the draft is beyond me. Our seventh-round draft pick, Moro Ojomo, went down in the game with a head injury, which was later diagnosed with a concussion. However, on the field, he was seen not moving for a while, but thankfully was able to move all extremities as he was carted off the field for treatment. And apparently there's a lot of other kind of small miscellaneous injuries across uh, like Britton Covey and Quez Watkins with, I think, hamstring injuries. Uh, there was a player that had an appendectomy recently. Just kind of like random things. Now, at first, I feel like that was very concerning, but I feel like I also didn't hear a lot of reporting on it. So they may be just like very, very, very minor injuries, some tweaks, you know. Ran a little bit, cut too hard, and, you know, tweaked something, but nothing that requires any major attention or draw for concern from fans. However, there are injuries that do concern me due to their impact on the special teams. As we know, we have lost Sean Bradley and Zach McPherson for the season with their injuries, and both have had a tremendous impact on our special teams. For example, last season, Zach McPherson was named NFC Special Teams Player of the Week in Week 1. But in Philly, we have the next man up mentality, and I am confident that we will have some players who step up to the plate and make a name for themselves in those special teams positions to cover our injured guys. But another thing that also concerns me is the Zach McPherson injury. Obviously, we know he backs up Avante Maddox, who has a history of having injuries in the nickel corner position. A player who we have seen back up Avante Maddox in these types of situations has been Josiah Scott. Now, I'll admit, he hasn't been perfect. He's had his ups and downs. He's had his great interception against the Packers. He had his struggles against CeeDee Lamb and the Cowboys. However, this man's confidence does not get diminished when these mistakes happen. He's got kind of like a shit happens, I'm going to work on it mentality. If we see Josiah Scott do well in the rest of the camp, great. Then we have a solid backup to Avante Maddox. God forbid anything happens to him during the regular season. Another option could be in that backup situation is do we slide Josh Job over? Now, I know Darius Slay kind of joked around saying that he had not the best hands in the DB room, but was also thrilled for him when he caught a great interception during camp. I wonder if that may be a possibility along with any other like kind of position shifts 
does this give the opportunity for a player who may have been on that roster bubble to make the roster or even the practice squad? We have a lot of young depth at the corner position with Keely Ringo, Eli Ricks, although I will say they did not have the best performance in this past game, but I'm going to dive into that when I get to the bless up or mess up segment. But to answer the question of who will take that backup position, I honestly don't know. We still have a couple of weeks, and either one of these players could have a strong or a weak camp in these remaining weeks, but we'll see what happens. Moving on to our final segment of the episode, the bless up versus mess up. Once again, in this segment, we highlight players who did extremely well, those who would be in the bless up, versus those who had lackluster or underperformed. That would be the mess up. Okay, the first player I have in my bless up section obviously has to be my man Tanner McKee. This man continues to exceed expectations for a developmental quarterback competing for a third string roster spot, and he is doing phenomenal. He's receiving praise from fans, coaches, players, you name it. I'll continue to say this until he proves me wrong. I think we got a fucking steal out of him. And honestly, after seeing his performance and seeing a lack of Ian Book, I don't know if you all noticed, but Ian Book did not play against the Browns last week. I don't know if he was injured or not, but the lack of Ian Book, if he was not injured, may tell me that Tanner McKee has got that third QB position on lock. Next up on my bless up list is Kayvon Wallace. Now, earlier reports were saying that Kayvon Wallace was on the bubble, maybe earning a spot only on special teams if he were to make the roster at all. However, as the camp has progressed, this man has just been getting better and better and better. In the game against the Browns, he tied Zach Cunningham for most tackles with seven combined tackles and had one fumble recovery thanks to the Nicobe Dean forced fumble on the goal line. And from this man to be going from he might not even make the roster to he's at consideration for a starting safety position just shows how strong his work ethic is, his ability to learn from his mistakes, his ability to realize that, hey, if I am not doing my best, I'm not going to make this team. And I think that deserves some high praise. So good job on you, Kayvon. I hope to see more of you in the next game as well. My last person, well, this is actually a group of people in the bless up section, are the linebackers. And yes, this does include Nolan Smith. Don't worry. I absolutely loved what I saw out of Nolan Smith before he went down for the shoulder injury. The fact that this man is pushing off due to weigh 375 pounds like they're a piece of paper and rushing that QB. I mean, this man was fucking booking it. That's the kind of shit that makes me love Nolan Smith, and I cannot wait to see just more and more and more of what this man can do. Hopefully he is right about his shoulder injury, just being a precautionary and a little tweak. You know, shit happens to everybody. Um, so I would love to see more of him, but I also love him to be healthy. So if he's not feeling right, don't play him in the next game. It's preseason, all right? I liked what I saw out of Zach Cunningham. Seven combined tackles, one tackle for loss. Christian Ellis with five combined tackles. Nick Morrow with five combined tackles. Obviously, the forced fumble by Nakobe Dean on the goal line, and that was just a textbook phenomenal play by him. If people were worried about his ability to lead the defense and to make plays, they should be worried a lot less. I was in a conversation with other fans online, and they were talking about how they were worried about his size. You know, he's 5'11", about 231 pounds, and that, is he a right fit for the middle linebacker position? 
Well, fuck, if you look at some other players like TJ Edwards and Bobby Wagner, they have maybe one inch and 10 pound differences between the Kobe Dean. And those dudes are phenomenal linebackers. If you're telling me that his stature is the main reason that you don't want him in that position, that's a load of bullshit. This man got drive. He has very high football intelligence. He is strong. He is quick to the ball. This man could do it. I believe that he can do it. You know, it'll be interesting to see him lead the defense and be the play caller in Sean Desai's new defense. But I'm excited. This man has confidence in himself. And I think that's a very strong suit. I'm a firm believer in confidence, you know, because you could be a fantastic player, but if you have no confidence or like a chip on your shoulder or some kind of fucking ego, it is going to impact your play no matter how physically fit you are. And this man is humble and he's a fantastic fucking football player. So he gets the bless up. And now let's move on to the mess up. First guy in my mess up section is Marcus Mariota, and I feel like I don't need to repeat myself since I already talked a lot about him and his performance, so I'll just say that he's the first person in my mess up. The next in my mess up is a group again, and this is our second through third string corners. Particularly, we saw Keely Ringo kind of mess up in coverage, allowing not one but two passes to Austin Watkins, one of which made a touchdown. On one play in particular, he just kind of stopped. And if he hadn't stopped, he would have deflected the pass for sure. But he just kind of stopped in the middle, almost like the game controller lagged or something like that. And it allowed Watkins to catch that pass. I honestly don't know what was going on, if he was trying to read something, if he was confused, or whatever the case may be. I think it was just a blown play. I'm not too worried about it. But in a regular season game, that can be a make-or-break situation for a win. And it was just an underperforming night for guys like Eli Ricks and Keely Ringo. You know, I think Keely Ringo had three tackles. Eli Ricks had one. Um, I just think that the performance this week did not reflect the performance from last week. They did a lot better. And for that reason, they go in my mess up section, but by a little bit, by a little bit, you know, again, you have to be confident in your players and their ability to make improvements off of their mistakes. And that's what I have. I'll have confidence in them. But uh, if we're just focusing on this game, then they go in my mess-up section. The last group to go in my mess-up section is our second and third string O-line. The Browns' defense were able to get six sacks on our QBs throughout the night. And there was a crucial, 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 crucial missed block by Josh Sills, which allowed a safety to be scored as Kenny Gainwell was tackled in the end zone. And again, I know these are second string. These are third string guys. These are guys who are either going to get cut, make the practice squad. They're not your day one starter dudes. However, with our next man up mentality, God forbid there ever be an injury and someone needs to step in, we need to be able to rely on them to stop dudes like Miles Garrett, Micah Parsons, the Bosa brothers, you name it. Dudes who want nothing more to do than to put the quarterback on his ass. And for that reason, that's why they get the final spot in the mess-up section. And as promised, here is that list of players who need to have a strong game against the Colts. And this includes those in that mess-up section. Now, this list doesn't include everybody who probably needs to have a strong game against the Colts. However, this is a select few that I decided to talk about. The first one I want to talk about is Trey Sermon. Now, this dude has been doing really well in camp. He's been scoring the touchdowns for us on preseason. But we also have four other running backs who are extremely good players. And unless 
Sermon has you know multiple touchdowns or just an explosive game I really don't think he will make the final cut for the 53-man roster and likely become a practice squad member who will maybe be called up for the active roster if there's ever a need on special teams or anything like that or he may seek somewhere else where he could have the potential to be on the starting roster The next person I have on this list is Joseph Ngata. Now, he's got a little bit of A.J. Brown stature, like 6'3", 217, but he's competing in a very talented wide receiver roster room, and it seems that there might be five wide receiver roster spots on lock with maybe one up for grabs. And I would say his biggest competition at this point would be Greg Ward, who has been on the active roster, who has made good plays for the Eagles in the past and is a well-known veteran for this team. So he has some competition against him. And I think if the Eagles have six wide receivers on their roster, God has got to be the one to outdo Greg Ward in this situation. The last person I want to talk about on my list is Tyree Jackson. Now, this man was seen to have a lot of potential. He was a QB turned tight end. He's built. He's six foot seven, you know, all the makings of a good physical tight end. However, he has had back to back seasons with injuries between a back injury and last year's injury of an ACL tear against the Giants in week 18 which caused him to miss a lot of valuable camp time. And I think if he has any shot at making the roster, he needs to have a strong performance on Thursday, and it would have to outdo Grant Calcaterra if he has any shot at being on the roster as a tight end. Well, that wraps up the topics for this week's episode. Once again, if you've made it this far, I thank you so much for hanging in there, listening to the episode, and supporting the podcast. You can access the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. On each of those apps, you can find us at Second and 15, a Philadelphia Eagles fan podcast. On social media, you can find us on our Instagram account at Second and 15. That is 2ndand15. New episodes of Second and 15 will air each week on Thursday. If you like the podcast, please like, share, rate, and subscribe on whatever platform you get your podcasts. That wraps up this episode for this week. This is Michael Roscoe signing off. Stay fly like an eagle and go birds.